0: Good morning. My name is David, and I'm an assisting priest here at Incarnation Anglican Church. If you're visiting us today, welcome. My message this morning is inspired by a question one of my children asked me as re- uh, recently as we were reading scriptures about Holy Week. Dad, she asked, if Pilate didn't want to have Jesus crucified, then why did he do it? What's interesting is my nine-year-old, precocious as she is, doesn't know Roman history but she stumbled upon a key issue in the Gospels without even realizing it. Pilate's portrayal is particularly perplexing. Simply put, Roman governors did not care about their subjects' religious squabbles, and they especially did not care about Jewish religious squabbles. Pilate himself says so. So this morning, I want to focus on why the Romans put Jesus to death. For one thing, according to Roman law, the buck stops with Pilate. It's all good. It was his decision to make, and no one else's, to crucify Jesus. Another reason to focus on the Romans that may not be top of mind most of the year is the fact that it's Holy Week, and you're going to hear a lot about the Jews. And we need to be careful when we read about them. It is one thing for the Gospel writers to speak about the Jews when they themselves were Jewish, but it is an entirely different thing for us to speak of the Jews, which has the effect of rendering them as an other. Which is to say, there is a long history of anti-Semitism that can reinforce itself if we read the Gospels without care. Even more to the point, the fact that Jesus fell afoul of the Romans reveals a great deal about what he was teaching and what he was doing that we might otherwise miss if we focused exclusively on the Jewish opposition to Jesus. So, why did the Romans crucify Jesus? One reason is almost certainly what happened that first Palm Sunday. The Romans knew that the Jews were expecting a liberator who would throw off the yoke of foreign rule and reclaim their patch of Mediterranean territory. When he rode into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, with all the prophetic significance that that entailed, Jesus crossed a big red line against the Roman occupiers who had seen this kind of thing before. This is counterintuitive to how we normally think of the events of the Passion. You know, if people had only declared Jesus as divine, the Romans would have shrugged and moved on. They had lots of gods, what's one more? But the people heralded him as messiah, which is to say, king. The Romans were comfortable with many gods. They could not tolerate more than one king. They perceived, rightly, that the kingship of Jesus represented a fundamental contradiction to Roman rule, inspiring a loyalty in competition with Caesar. Now, even if they were wrong about Jesus' means of bringing about his kingdom, which is a nonviolent waiting on God to act, they were right that Jesus represented a challenge to earthly powers. All earthly powers. One upshot of this recognition is that Jesus' identity as king should temper his followers' zeal for any earthly nation, which can all too easily slide into idolatry. Jesus wanted and wants his followers to live peacefully within and contribute to the societies in which they find themselves. But they do so as exiles or refugees away from their rightful home where they hold their true citizenship, the kingdom of God. A more immediate reason the Romans crucified Jesus was what happened after Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. We read that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. So in a way, Jesus led a one-man assault on the key pillar of stability for society in Judea. If the people shouting Hosanna were pouring gasoline on Roman fears of a revolt, Jesus lit a match when he purified the temple. Pilate had a vested interest in the Jerusalem temple. It was run by the Sadducees, a Jewish sect that collaborated with the Romans. The Sadducees denied that the dead would be raised, and they had minimal, if any, messianic expectations. The status quo suited them just fine. Thus, Roman rule was in part mediated through the temple establishment. And then there's the tiny little detail that Jesus also foretold that the temple would be destroyed. Now, this all fits with Jesus' message that the coming of God's kingdom would effect a great reversal. He said the first would be last and the last would be first. And he meant that spiritually but also socially. What Jesus actually taught in distinction to what the Romans thought he was about was not that human initiative, but God himself would bring about this change to the way the world works. You cannot go to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes to you. What people are to do is to repent of their sins against God and trust that he would deliver them from all evil right down to the evil in their own hearts. But to Roman leaders... If it looks like a revolution and it quacks like a revolution, it should be put down as a revolution. If there is any doubt that Jesus was put to death because he was perceived as a political threat, the method of his execution should put it to rest. Pilate had at his disposal all manner of lethal punishments he could have dealt upon Jesus. But the punishment Pilate actually settled upon was nailing Jesus to a cross and ending the Romans reserved for leaders of political rebellion. This was not the first time the Romans had to worry of a Jewish revolt. In fact, the Gospels themselves reference other quelled rebellions. You can see one in Luke 13. But, you may wonder, weren't two common thieves also crucified alongside Jesus? Alas, thieves is a bit of a mistranslation of the Greek word listes. Greek has an entirely different word, for plain vanilla thieves. Lestes was used for insurrectionists, guerrilla warriors who would ambush unsuspecting parties of uh, occupational Romans. The editors of the NRSV, which we read from, agree. That translation accurately calls the criminals next to Jesus, rebels. The fact that Jesus was crucified, therefore, means the Romans saw him as the same kind of threat. Now, the end result may have been what the hostile crowd was demanding that Pilate do to Jesus, but Roman governors, as a rule, do not cave in to mobs. Perhaps Pilate was just putting on a show. Perhaps he truly was conflicted and vacillating on what to do with Jesus, Or, perhaps, the Gospel writers were trying to provoke more Roman hostility by painting Pilate in as favorable a light as they could. In any event, if Pilate had Jesus crucified, it's because Pilate wanted Jesus crucified. Therefore, I hope we can understand the scriptures of Passion Tide with a little more nuance. First, we need to put a mental asterisk next to the word Jews in the Passion Stories. The Gospels were written only a generation or two after Jesus's time when faith in Jesus was still considered a form of Judaism and not its own thing. All but one author in the New Testament, in fact, were themselves Jews. I say all this because historically, a lot of anti-Semitism is premised on the idea that Jews in general are responsible for no less than deicide, killing God himself. Of course, it would make as much sense to blame all Italians for what Pilate had done to Jesus. Our readings also show how the Jewish reaction to Jesus was mixed. Some embraced him, others rejected him violently. So, what is implicit in the gospels, let us make explicit when we talk about them. Where you see printed, the Jews read, the Jewish leaders of that time. Second, and more importantly, our understanding of Jesus is impoverished if we focus solely on Jesus' offense to Jewish leaders. His message seemed to pose a threat to Roman interests for a reason. However, it is safe to say that the Roman view of the threat Jesus posed was, if anything, too small. Jesus came preaching, and even teaching, the dawn of a new age, when God was starting to make good on his promises, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. That age is what he called the kingdom of God. In truth, the Roman Empire was small potatoes to the God of all creation. God sent his son Jesus to defeat the powers of sin, death, and the devil. And through these events, God dealt the decisive, if not yet final, blow. When we shout our own hosannas, let us bear in mind that we hail a king of neither a disembodied spirit world nor, by contrast, a king contented with occupying a certain piece of land. To quote a famous theologian, there is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Let us have a moment of silence.